Well, I tell you what, I'm glad you're back. I really am. After I looked up at the clock when I finished and I saw the time, I just, what, I needed to go to the altar, you know, and repent. I thought I went way over. And I'm so glad you're sitting down there and the bell is up here. That's really good. I'm getting nervous when I saw that bell earlier. I thought, I know what he's going to do. Well, I tell you, sometimes, what it is, when I get in a big way of preaching and get into those stories, I I forget the time, honestly. And I look up and I'm going, and I can't believe it. But I'll try to be more uh, sensitive to our time frames tonight. Kind of reminds me of one guy that got up and preached. He had a big opportunity. He's a young preacher. Young preachers can preach long. They really can. And uh, because they're nervous. And I believe that's maybe why I preached a long time this morning. I was just nervous, you know. All that nervous energy comes out. Next thing you know, you've gone a long, long time. And uh, this young preacher got up and preached, you know, and he, he just kept going, kept going. And finally, I mean, it's already now 50, 55, now in an hour. Uh, and he's still going at it. And people are just getting weary and tired. Finally, uh, I mean, he's over an hour now in his preaching. And being a young preacher, he didn't have a whole lot to say. He just kept saying it, you know. And he just kept going, kept going. Finally, somebody got in, in the very back row, just got tired of it all, and uh, reached down and sure enough found, found a little rock, a little pebble. And he threw that thing toward the preacher, hoping it would get his attention and snap him into reality. Well, the rock didn't make it. It made it at least to the front of the pew and hit a guy right in the back of the head. I mean, just about, I mean, he went out just a little bit, kind of dazed a little bit. And then he stood up and turned around and looked to the back and said, Hit me again, I can still hear him. Um, uh, so if I see any rock throwing tonight, I'll go ahead and close her up, and uh, we'll go home. We'll go home. Oh yes, yes. I tell you, I've had a great time, great time already. And I know we got a big week ahead of us. I'm really wanting God to work in our midst. I really want to not only preach to the young people this week, but I want to pray for the young people this week. Uh, I've heard so much on prayer already uh, from up here, asking folks to pray for the meetings. That is the key. That is the key to preaching, is the key to ministering, is the key to people getting saved. It's praying. Because praying is asking God to do it. And if He doesn't do it, it won't get done. And we need His power. We need His help. And I just thank you so much for this opportunity. And I just want you to know we're going to come and we're going to preach and give... To them, what God gives me, but we're going to pray. And I want you to help me do that, that we might be a blessing, might be a blessing. Um, Thank you, Dr. Bloom, for this opportunity. I I know we tried to work it out before and things just happened, but I'm glad it worked out. I'm so happy to be here. And it's great to see the Bloom family and everyone. Uh, They've got me in a beautiful room. Your prophet's chamber is just first class. Uh, that bed, uh, you, when, you, when you lay down in it and go to sleep, you're gone. You're, you don't know where you are. And uh, when you wake up, it takes a while to gather. Where am I? You know, it's just heavenly. And I thank you for the great, great place to rest. And the meals have been absolutely wonderful. Had a great meal today. Uh, got Japanese today. So if I really get into it with some karate chops in a sermon, you're going to know where they came from. I'm telling you, it was wonderful And all of it, just uh, such a blessing, and I thank you for it. Tonight, I want to change gears just a little bit. I'm not going to get wild and crazy. I I just really want to help people tonight. I always want to help people, but this one goes to someone who may be hurting. And I want you to turn to John chapter, John chapter 
12 in your, actually John 11, we'll go to 12, but John 11 as we start out, John chapter 11, and I want you to notice here the story of, of course, the raising of Lazarus, a great story, great, great text, and as you know, the Lord designed this to be exactly on time what he was doing. He, on purpose, delayed two days. And it was four days when he arrived at the tomb of Lazarus or at the home of Mary and Martha. And when he arrived, he had already been in the grave for four days. And so there's a lot in that, but just understand that Mary and Martha were hoping the Lord would come in time. But he didn't make it in time. He didn't make it in time, as they're thinking. And I want you to notice the reactions of when Jesus does arrive, what happens? It says here in John chapter 11, again, you know the story, and I'll not read the entire story. But if we back up a little bit, you'll find where Jesus, in verse 17, the Bible says, Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now, Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. That's about 22 miles. That's a day's journey. So the Bible puts the time frames in there to help you understand why it was that the Lord, when he arrived, he had been dead already four days. I love the time frames. It helps to understand the text. Verse 19. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha... As soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. Look at this next phrase. But Mary sat still in the house. She sat still. Sat still. I just want you to think about that for just a moment. On March the 1st, 2017, George W. Bush was interviewed at the unveiling of his new book that had just come out, Portraits of Courage. Some of you may own one of those books. And it was unveiled there at the Ronald Reagan Library. And as he was interviewed, he explained the purpose of the book and what it was. was a collection of portraits that he himself, having taken art lessons, learned and painted portraits of some special people. These portraits included not only the people's uh, portrait, their face, but it also covered their story. There were stories covering wounded soldiers since since 9-11. The wounded soldiers since 9-11. And it included their stories of bravery and courage and the courage to go back into civilian life having been wounded as a soldier which is a great adjustment for many who go through very difficult times at war. And in that time that he was explaining his book, he was asked, how did you get these soldiers to open up? Typically, they won't. But how did you, President, Mr. President, how did you get these men to open up and hear their stories? He says, well, it's, it's, it's understandably. He said, You have to earn their trust. And he explained that at the Bush Center, where they would bring a lot of these wounded soldiers, especially ones he was interested in writing on their story, he said, we would golf together 
and mountain bike together. And he said, through that camaraderie, he said, I would earn their trust. And he said, in that, sometimes they would open up. He said, also, we have what is called the Warrior Open. And it's a golf time, golf tournament, where all the wounded soldiers would come and golf, and many famous people. And in that time, he said, we allotted a moment where these men could gather and share their testimonies. And he said, and here's what would happen. That when one of these wounded soldiers would share their testimony and talk about what they're going through, he said, when one of these vets would hear the testimony of their pal, he said, then it would make them open up. And it would cost them, it would prompt them to share their story and this is what he said. In fact, I heard it myself when I watched the coverage on CNN. They had a recorded coverage. And I, one day I was watching, uh, not CNN. No, I don't do that. Hallelujah. Um, it was the exciting, glorious C-SPAN. Okay? And I, I, the reason I watched it, because when I was go, going through the channels, there was George Bush. And I always like to hear him because he's hilarious. He really makes me laugh. And so, because he always has certain things. He's always real comical. And so I call, it caught my eye what he was talking about, this unveiling and the portraits of courage. I'd heard about the book. And when I listened to it, this is what he said. He said this, when their pals would hear their stories about their invisible wounds, invisible wounds, he said it would give the confidence to others to share their story. When I heard him say invisible wounds, there was something that just went off in my mind and heart. I thought, wait a minute, what's he mean by that? Invisible wounds. You see, it's not the physical wounds that are requiring prosthetics and wheelchairs. It's the wounds that nobody sees. It's the post-traumatic syndrome and those kinds of wounds where these soldiers have been affected deeply and they can't snap out of it. They can't go back to normality. They're hurt. In fact, George Bush walked up, President Bush walked up to one of the men that looked fine. There was no prosthetics. It was fine. He said, you look great. He said, why are you here? He said, well, I saw my buddy killed in action. I was there. And he says, I, I can't get it out of my mind. That's invisible wounds. God took me to this passage when I read about Mary and Martha and all that they're going through. And I see that Mary is one who is a victim of invisible wounds. And this is the wounds that nobody sees. Nobody feels. It's wounds that you don't get a lot of pity over either. People expect you to just pick up and let's go on. Let's forget about it. I know it happened a long time ago, but let's, come on now, it's a new day. You've got the rest of your life. And because of silent wounds, because of invisible wounds, they are incapable they're incapable of getting up. And they find themselves many times on the sidelines of life wondering what in the world has happened. Invisible wounds. Would you pray with me tonight? 
Our Heavenly Father, please, please, I ask you to help me. When I was asked to come preach here, this was one of the things, one of the sermons I thought about first that I would preach. For God, you put it upon my heart, I do believe. And God, I'm asking you to move and work tonight and use me to say some things that will encourage those wounded soldiers that may be sitting right here in this building, that may be listening by live stream or up on the radio. Wounded, God, wounded, but they need healing tonight. Thou art the great physician. You still make house calls. God, you're in the healing and restoring business. And I pray that you would restore, strengthen, apply thy healing balm, only God the way you know how. And be the God of all comfort to those who need comforting this evening. And may as a result of it, Lord, get all the glory, strengthen your church, and Lord, help that wound that's, that's hurting tonight. I pray this in your precious and holy name. Amen. In John chapter 11, you notice that Mary sat still in the house. Now, this was not like Mary. You know where Mary, you, where you always find her. If you back up a chapter or two, you'll find even in this, this book, as well as other texts, that when Jesus would come to the home of, of Lazarus and, and there Mary and Martha, it was Martha that was in the house and uh, in the kitchen, so to speak, and she was working and getting things ready. But where do you find Mary? At the feet of Jesus. In fact, as you read this story in chapter 11, you'll find that Mary is introduced here in verse 2. And it says, It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. The introduction of Mary, who we know in Mary, is the one at the feet of Jesus. If Christ comes to the house, you'll find her right there at his feet. I mean leaning and gleaning everything from his, his own words. Not this time. The noise was made. The announcement was abroad. Christ is here. He's finally come. Martha jumps up. The Bible says immediately she ran and she went to the Lord. But where is Mary? She sat still. I believe she's wounded. I believe she's discouraged. I believe there's a reason why she is still there in the house. And she appears to not be interested. She appears to say right where she is. She in essence is saying, you go Martha. I'm just fine. I'm going to stay right here. Now I want to tell you, dear church, there's a lot of church members like that. Our churches are filled with people that are setting still. Oh, they used to be the ones worshiping. I mean, I mean worshiping. They were the ones who were actively pouring in their heart and soul to what God was doing in this church. I mean, they were active. They served. They were the first ones to sign up. And they loved to hear His Word. They were excited about church. They came to church expecting. They came to church praying. They came to church bringing others with them. Oh, don't you love to see church members like that? I do. They come and they're expected. They even ask the preacher, now are you on John chapter 11 again tonight? If you are, I'm going to go home and read it. I can't wait to hear your message this evening. I'm going to tell you, you need to say that to your pastor from time to time. You may really enjoy the series he's in, but enjoy it, yes. Amen, there's no problem with that. But let him know that once in a while. It would be great. 
It would be great. I'd go to the part when I served as an assistant. I would tell my pastor. And I wasn't being fake about it. It wasn't a professional move. It was something deep from my heart. He was preaching through the story of Ruth. And he opened up Ruth like I'd never heard it. And I'm going to tell you, I told him, I said, I cannot wait. In fact, I went and bought me some books on Ruth. I'm going to try to read up. It was good. You see, church members that are, that are excited about the Lord and love God's Word, that's the kind of effect you'll see. That's the kind of reactions they'll have. And they would come to church expecting. And they were the kind of church members, I'm talking about people who are active and I mean their whole hearts in it. They are the kind of people who did not get distracted by things. They knew what was real and what was needed and what took priority in the house of God. Nothing was more important than hearing the word of God. Listen, that's the way Mary used to be. It's at his feet. It's hearing his word, which is the one thing, the one good thing that she chose to do. And they were not distracted. The Marthas in our churches... Oh, they're all about the business side. The activities, the trips, the programs, the community projects, the concerts, the committee meetings, the buildings, the budgets. Oh, let me at it. I love to serve on these boards. And they get so distracted by all the things that we're doing. But I want to tell you something. Nothing should take more priority for the need of your own soul than coming in here, and I mean experiencing the sweet joy of the presence of God when the man of God stands up here and opens this holy book of God and tells you, thus saith the Lord. That ought to be, oh, food for your soul that you can't get enough of. But so many times it's taken back seat in our churches. When I was a kid, I can tell you the times when we had church before there was church. You say, what do you mean? I mean, there's, there's a difference when you come to church and God is moving and His presence is real. I'm not, I'm not talking about worked up emotion. I'm talking about real church services. And we used to often say, we had church before it was church. You say, how'd that happen? When I was a kid, I'd go down in the prayer rooms with the men on that side of the church. And the ladies went on that side of the church. They would go down the steps where the, where the prayer rooms were. It was Sunday school rooms that they converted into prayer rooms. And they would get in there on Sunday night before church. And they'd get on their knees. And they began to... And I remember this. We had those old-fashioned wooden chairs. Not the kind that fold, but the old-fashioned the old high back wooden chairs. They were great for leaning up against the wall. And every man in that whole prayer room would be on one of those wooden chairs leaned up with their legs crossed over on the other end. And they'd lean back in those chairs across the arms and pour out their heart about what we need to pray about. Next thing you know, they're talking about their lost loved ones, friends, neighbors, co-workers that needed to be saved. And they would share those prayer requests. And all of a sudden, Papa, who was leading the bunch, he was the pastor. And he would say, let's go to praying, men. And they'd all, I mean, come down off of those lean-back chairs, turn around, and get down on their faces inside of those chairs. And then they begin to call out to God and pray. And I'm telling you, friend, it turned into a concert of praying of who could pray the loudest. I mean, they would pour their heart out and they would pray 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 and i'm going to tell you church started right there in those prayer meetings long before we had the opening song they came out ready to worship there were times they come out crying and praising god having a time camp meeting time before we ever had the song service to start oh yeah had church before it was church service time you see I'm talking about people who used to enjoy God's presence in the house of God. We need that in these days. Oh, but I'm afraid the presence of the Lord is something we don't even look for now anymore. Why? 
We have too many like Mary, who's, who's, they're okay. I'm fine. In fact, you go ahead, you go ahead with your special meeting, your, 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 your mission conference, go right ahead. I'll, uh, I'll be just fine right here. Sure, we used to do all that. I did it all. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt, we're good. You go right along. Bless your heart. You know what that means, don't you? When they say bless your heart, you know. And for whatever reason, they're, they're faithful. They're, they're in the church. They're there. But they're not there. You don't understand what I'm saying, right? They're, I mean, they're faithful. They're in their spot. But it's not the same. It's not like it used to be. They're there, but their heart's not in it. And too many of our people in our churches, their heart has been out of it for a long time. And I'm afraid, yes, they still warm the pew, but that's about as far as it goes. And I want to tell you, I'm glad you're here. Too many have even stopped doing that. I'm glad you're in God's house on this Sunday night. But are you here or... Are you wounded? Like Mary, many have had the invisible wounds still the joy of the Lord that they once had. Been a long time since they felt the sweet Holy Spirit nudge them. Been a long time since God put somebody in your heart to pray for. Been a long time since God nudged you on, just walk up to that young preacher boy who's just getting started. Give him a $20 bill. Slip it into his hand when you shake hands with him. Now, I'm not indicating that. That's a young preacher boy. I'm an old guy here. But I'm saying that there was these days when the Holy Spirit would prompt you. And you knew he was prompting. And you would do it. You wouldn't debate. You didn't give an excuse. You did what God prompted you to do. One time I was just driving the car. My wife and I had big plans to take that day and just, just go shop and have a big family day. We had ourselves too busy in the ministry for too long, and it was time to have some family time. And I remember getting in the car, and I pulled out, and we started down this little road called Edwina Road, where we lived. I turned the corner, and about the, about, about the time I'm turning the corner, I mean, something inside of me says, go see Miss Lois. I knew she was ill, but she'd been ill for some time. But I thought, I need to go see her. Now, I didn't get a voice from heaven. It wasn't this big thundering experience. It was just a, just a, a, a nudge. And I said, honey, I'm going to go see Miss, Miss Lois. And, of course, Renee's like protecting the family, protecting the kids, protecting our family time. She's like, oh, do, do we really have to do that? And I'm like, yes, I, I, just, I, just, need to go see, I just need to go see her. No argument. She, she doesn't push her, doesn't argue. She just, well, whatever. And so she's kind of wondering about how long is he going to be in there? I pulled up into that driveway. There was a car or two there. I didn't think much about it. Thought, well, maybe the daughters are here to see their mother. I walked in, and there was, they had already moved in the hospice in the, in the hospital room there. In her room was a hospital bed, rather. And I walked in that, that room, and all of a sudden I saw the faces of those sisters around that bed, and they were weeping. And I walked in there, and I walked up to that body of that, that lady, Lois, laying there, and she there in that spot took her last breath. And I just, of course, took the family and we all began to pray together. And in their mind, they're thinking, who called you? How was I able to get there on time? 
Now look, I'm not trying to put any kind of spiritual feathers in my hat. Oh my goodness, no, 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 no. But I want to tell you this. When the Holy Spirit nudges you, you better do it. You don't know the blessings you're going to miss out and the opportunities you will have when the Holy Spirit nudges you. But sad is the day when you don't feel the nudge anymore. Sad is the day when even sin, sin is not called upon anymore for you to take an account. And I mean, make it right with God. Sad is the day when you no longer feel the moving. And I'm not talking about feeling. I'm talking about knowledge of the Holy Spirit making and calling and nudging you to do the will of God. And I want to say this. Sad is the day. And I believe the reason is, is because many are wounded. They've checked out. They're, they're, just, they're just done. Now I want you to see the wound. What is the wound that Mary is having here? Well, real quickly, Mary is sat still in the house. And we see a little bit of what's happening. Notice how Mary expresses her disappointment. It's in verse 32. She says basically this, Then when Mary was come where Jesus was, she saw him. She fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Now Mary's disappointment was, Lord, where were you? Where were you? Now, it's interesting why did she take this so hard? Everybody else is saying the same thing, but for some reason it's affected Mary worse than it's affected everybody else. Martha said the same thing, but she runs and meets the Lord. It's Mary who's sitting in the house and she doesn't want to talk to God. It had to, Christ had to actually request her presence before she moved. Why was it that Mary took these things such at heart? Maybe it was because she was so sensitive. You know, Mary was a spiritually deep person. And I want to say this. Many times the sensitive ones are sometimes the ones that hurt the deepest. Sometimes when I'll preach a sermon, boy, I'll get hot in heaven and preach it hard and come invitation time. And I'm aiming for the sinner. I'm aiming for those who I know is, is playing games and shenanigans with God and they're not getting right. But I'll notice that the ones who jump up and hit the altar, they're the sensitive ones. The ones who I believe are walking close with the Lord. And I think, you don't need to pray. I'm, I'm, I'm aiming for that guy back there or that girl over here. But it'll be the ones who are sensitive, who want God at any cost. And they'll be the ones on the altars. Oftentimes, oftentimes. But why did Mary take it so deeply? I believe with this with all my heart is because her hurt was preventable. She may have been sensitive, but it was sovereignty that got, I think, to her heart. The sovereignty of God. You see, the sovereignty of God, I believe in it, I preach in it, this Bible teaches it. God is in control. But when things don't work out to our understanding, we then don't understand what is sovereign God doing. And it, sometimes it appears He doesn't care. Because of all the things He doesn't prevent in our lives. You think about this. Jesus, why did you not stop? Do you know that was the people's argument too? You remember the people's argument? Notice if you would back in the text, chapter 11. Notice... Verse 37, the Bible says, And some of them said, Could not this man which have opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? 
I mean, the, the people are even saying it. He could, he could do all these great things. He can keep, I mean, the most amazing miracle at that time was the fact that the blind could receive their sight. And they're saying he could do this, but he wouldn't even stop the sickness. And I believe with all my heart, many times the deepest wounds come from, these silent wounds come from preventable trials. Preventable trials. These are the kind of wounds that hurt deeply. Prayer promises. You look to God, you're asking God, nothing happens. Unanswered prayer. There's reasons, there's biblical reasons for unanswered prayer. As pastor preached this morning in Sunday school, sometimes the answer is no. But unanswered prayer many times can bring people to understand and think, why even bother? G. Campbell Morgan tells about a man who prayed for 40 years for his children to be saved. 40 years. He came to the end of his life and his children still were not saved. I wonder what he thought. I wonder how that challenged his faith. G. Campbell Morgan said, what was amazing about it though, when this man came to the end of his life, he then, I mean at the moments before death, all of a sudden he began to be very apprehensive and very nervous about the, about the experience of death itself. And he began to be very fearful and frightful and began to doubt God's promises. And people had to assure him of the gospel at the moment of his death. And his children whom he prayed for for 40 years stood around that bed and watched their daddy in a sense go faithless when he was going out in eternity. And you may think, what is God doing? This man prayed 40 years only to come to the end of his life and now he's nervous about the promises of God and will this thing all work out when I close my eyes in death? And the man died in a fearful state. But God knows what he's doing. G. Campbell Morgan said those kids stood around that bed and this is what they said. They said if daddy, who loved God and served God these many years, could come upon the time of death and it be that fearful? How bad is it going to be for us when it comes our time? And through that experience, each one of those children got saved by the grace of God. Well, that's amazing. But see, a sovereign God has those things worked out that on this side of eternity, we don't often see. We don't know. We don't know how it's all going to work out. In fact, Christ comes on the scene. He knows what He's going to do. He knows it's going to be for the glory of God. He knows Lazarus is going to come again. But Mary sat still and Mary is disappointed. Why? Lord, where were you? You ever prayed that prayer? God, where were you? If you've lived long enough, walked long enough with God, you've prayed that prayer. You've had that same sentiment. We're not too spiritual as to have this thing all figured out. Your faith is stretched. Where were you, Lord? Disappointments that come. I've seen it all through my ministry, Dr. Bloom. I know you have too. One of the, one of the grave disappointments I've seen is, is bad marriages. Bad marriages. You say, what do you mean, preacher? I can't figure them out. It's hard even to explain them. You have these young people that love the Lord, go to a Christian college with all hopes of serving Christ with all of their heart. And they meet somebody who's at that Christian college. They, have, they seemingly have the same desire. But soon as they say the I do's and they began their journey together, one all of a sudden just grows disinterested. 
And they, I mean, bull up and fold up on God and upon church. And the other one's trying to drag them along. This other one had hopes and dreams of giving their life to Christ and just love to serve Him. And now they're having to drag along a spouse who do not care for the things of God. I've seen it many, many times. I've seen it in older generations as well as young. I've known, I know one woman who just literally faces abuse on a regular basis. And all she wanted to do was to give God her heart and serve Him. And this, 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 this Mr. Wright, supposedly, he said yes, but when it came time and life began together after the marriage altar, he wasn't a bit interested. Now it's persecution in their own home. I've seen that. I've seen it up close. And it's sad. And people ask you, well, why didn't God prevent that? Why did he let her marry him? Where were the red flags? Enough to be seen. Those subjects are for a sovereign God to clarify in eternity. But on this side, many times we don't get satisfactory answers. And it promotes, I'm afraid, silent wounds. I've seen it in the will of God. You, know, you, you pray and you ask God, Lord, show me thy will. And you step forward in faith. And we, we, we always glorify faith. I do. I preach it. I see many who follow God by faith. It's a great journey. And it is. But sometimes the journey is filled with those storms and trials. And you wonder, God, why did you land us here? Jesus told those disciples, get in the boat. We're going to the other side. Next thing you know, they're in a storm. A storm of their very lives. And where do they find the master? You know, helm of the ship. Sovereignly in control. Sovereignly so much in control that a storm that would threaten seasoned sailors, the Savior is sweetly asleep. He's enjoying the ride. He may, he may even think that the, the, the bumps are, are, are therapeutic. I mean, he's enjoying the ride. And what do the disciples see? They see a sovereign Savior who don't care. Master, carest thou not that we perish? Do you not care? Somebody wake him up. You see, when you journey with God, even in the perfect will of God, in the boat, going to the other side, we will make it. But in the perfect will of God, you're going to think at times, I'm not going to make it. And does he not care? I want to share this with you in closing, our Lord's reaction to it all. I think it will help us if you should see what the Lord does. Now, when Mary comes to the Lord in the text, you'll see... Mary, say the very same thing that Martha earlier said. Yeah, Martha. Martha was the first one to run to the Lord, and I just read it to you a moment ago. She runs to the Lord, and uh, in fact, let's look at it. Chapter 11, notice Martha. Bible says in verse 20, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto the Lord Jesus, or Jesus the Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. But I know even now that whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. 
Martha saith unto him, I know he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Look at verse 26. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die, believest thou this. By the way, verse 26 caught my eye. I caught this this afternoon just reviewing this. Verse 26 says, whosoever liveth and believeth in me. In other words, while you have this opportunity called life, he that liveth, while you're alive, if in that lifetime you believe in me, he said you'll never die. I want to tell you something, friend. I don't know who you are and where you are in this life, but if you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, your most wonderful golden opportunity in giving your life to Christ is right now while you're alive. Behold, now is the time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. If you are without Christ tonight, oh, listen to me. If you're without Christ, it's only he that liveth and believeth gets the prize of eternal life. If you wait till you die, it's over. You'll wake up in a devil's hell and there you'll be for eternity. He that, believe, he that liveth and believeth. Why you've got this opportunity. So Martha comes to the Lord with her argument and the Lord gives her basically a, a, a lesson of, of, of end time theology and reveals to her his magnificent uh, a power of the fact that he's the resurrection. He gives her a great theological lesson. But when Mary comes to him, he doesn't do that. And I want to close with this. Notice what Mary does when she goes to the Lord. It's right here in verse 27 and on. The Bible says, She said in him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister secretly, verse 28, saying, The Master is come, and he calleth for thee. By the way, the Master is come. And for you tonight who are hurting, he calls for you. He wants your attention tonight. That's why this country preacher's up here telling you this. He's calling. He's calling for you. Notice what happens. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly. Oh, that changed things. And came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. By the way, Lord didn't come in, knocking down the door. Mary, where are you? Lord doesn't do that. The Bible says, drawn out of God, He'll draw out of you. It is your choice to come to God. You'll find God reacts in love and comes to you. It is the call of God that causes you to choose to come to God. But the meeting, the great meeting, is that you must arise quickly and go when He calls. It's a wonderful thing. God doesn't barge down the door and kick you around and say, Now, where have you been? He's calling. That's why he stands at a distance. Oh, his voice is heard. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will. You come, I will give you rest. You must come. You must rise up and go to God. And Christ 
was not yet even come into town. It was outside the city gate, so to speak, here, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which were, verse 31, with her in the house and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet. Oh, she's been there before, but she's back. Hallelujah. Can I just say hallelujah? She's back. She is back where she belongs. This whole thing she's going through, friend, she's back where it really happens. She's back where she can really get help. If she stays in the house, she stays with her argument, she stays with her pain, she stays with her limitations. But she's where she belongs. And friend, I'm going to tell you, if you're a child of God, one place you belong, and it's the good place that Mary once had chosen, now she's back. It's the feet of Jesus. Oh, let me be at His feet. Amen? That's where we'll find help. But look what Christ does. And I close with this. Then Mary was come to where Jesus was, verse 32, and saw Him. She fell down at His feet, saying, Lord, if Thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he was groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. There's a lot of theological debates on why the Lord is weeping. But I want to tell you something. This is how he dealt with Mary. Martha, she gets a theological discourse. But Mary... Just weeps with her. I want to tell you something. You don't serve an impersonal force or some high God on His throne who is not touched with the feelings of your infirmities. The writer of Hebrews says, Come boldly therefore to the throne of grace that you may obtain help and find grace to help in a time of need. Do you know why you could go to God in a time of need and find the grace that you need? Because the verse before says, we have a high priest and he's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. God feels what you feel. There may not be anything else I say that has caught your attention tonight, but please get this one. God knows right where you are and he knows exactly how you feel. I've been and dealt with people that I could not feel their pain. I couldn't say the right thing, but that's never trouble for Jesus Christ. He knows exactly where you are and what you're going through. And you know what he's doing? He weeps. He was man. He was God. He knew resurrection was around the corner, but he's weeping. No wonder the Lord said to us as his followers in Romans chapter 12, rejoice with those that rejoice, but weep with those that weep. The Lord wants you to get down off your high horses of religion and get down where people are that are hurt and lowly and get down where they were, where they are and weep with them. That's real ministry. That's Christ-like ministry. Weep with those that weep. 
Interesting, when we pray, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 that the Holy Spirit of God intercedes. But how does He intercede? With groanings which cannot be uttered. Those groanings are not tongues. It's not heavenly tongues like some denominations teach and preach. Groanings are unutterable hurts and prayers that God the Holy Ghost is feeling and is giving while we pray. Let me tell you something, that'll help you. You ever had anybody just come along and pray with you and even cry with you? Means a lot. Sure means a differ, does it not? Means the differ. If somebody comes along and says, Ah, what are you crying about? Ah, come on, get toughen up, man. Life ain't, life's not fair for anybody. I mean, if you hear that mess, you're not getting any help, are you? I remember one time when I was a young man, I'll close with this, young man, I struggled in my early years of salvation with doubts of my salvation. Now, some, several people don't, don't ever go through that, but I did. I'd hear a sermon red hot on hell. It scared me to death. And I'd feel that pain. It might have been just I was hungry for fried chicken. I don't know. But I, I had pain on the inside. I thought, oh, Holy Spirit of God's getting a hold of me. I must be lost. And I'd been saved. One time I went to the altar. And it happened several times in my church. And, and you know, when they see me coming, I, know, I knew my pastor. He must have thought, oh, here comes David again. And I struggled. I couldn't get the assurance of my salvation. By the way, that's the most miserable place to be in as a Christian. If you don't have the assurance of your salvation, you need to nail her down because you're not going to amount to much and the devil's going to keep you defeated as long as you're weary and frightful about the matter of eternity. Assurance of salvation, one of the most glorious truths we have to enjoy. It's called blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. When you've got that nailed down, run back and say, isn't it wonderful? Isn't it blessed to have assurance? It's glorious. It's, it's glory divine on this side of heaven. And I go to the altar and I just struggle and I struggle. One time a missionary there who I basically grew up with, he's older than I was, called to preach, called to be a missionary to Australia. He knew me. He saw me go to that altar again. And this time I was, the man had preached on the judgment seat of Christ. If I remember, it might have been the great white throne judgment. And I got down on my face and I was asking, God, why won't you save me, God? Oh, Lord. And I just struggled with assurance like that. And this man got up, this preacher, and he walked over to where I was. And my pastor helped me, too, with Scripture. And that, by the way, Scripture is what set me free. It really did. My pastor showed me from the Scriptures that I am saved and, and God let me see that. And that's, that's where it all happens. But something of a unique ministry happened when that missionary also came down and got down beside me. You know what he did? Didn't say a word. But I could hear him. He saw me hurting, and he began to weep. In fact, he had a unique weeping that I, I'll never forget. It was kind of, <laughs> just like that, you know. Like, almost like a kid trying to pout, you know. He's getting the engine started. Well, that's how he wept. He just began to he knew I could not get through and I could not find peace that I needed. And he began to weep for me. Now that was a long time ago. And to this day I can still hear it. Somebody wept for me. Somebody wanted me to get the victory. And it was God's word that gave me the victory. But in the process, someone came right alongside of me 
And it did something for me that I can't explain. And I knew I'm not the only one here. Somebody's weeping for me. But you know what's glorious? Jesus Christ prays for you. He'll weep with those that weep. He tenderly knows what you're going through. And I want you to know this. Resurrection day is coming. For everything as a child of God we've had to endure, there is a reckoning glorious day. Listen. Joy cometh in the morning. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. You can bank on it. We're going to rise to meet Him in the clouds, and it's all going to be settled. But until then, don't be a wounded soldier on the sideline. There's a Savior who weeps for you, and who knows right where you are. Rise up. Go to His feet. That's where you'll find help. Because he's there. He's there weeping. Father.